G'day and welcome to the third installment of the All About Occupation series brought to you by Dr. Rebecca Twinley and the University of Brighton. In this episode, you are going to hear from Dr. Michael Sai and Pauline Gale Martinez on their topic of the doings and occupations of those who desire to be beautiful. Strap in, have a listen, link is in the show notes if you would like further information on either of these amazing speakers or the All About Occupation series in general. Above all, please enjoy. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. Good day, everyone. I am Pauline, and together with me is Mike. We are thrilled to be with you here in the seminar series. Here we are in session number three of All About Occupation. Our presentation is entitled The Doings and Occupations of Those Who Desire to Be Beautiful. A bit of a background. This was a result of our random musings during the first few months of COVID-19. Mike and I were talking about how Filipinos put high regard on beauty pageants and how norms of beauty affect daily life by associating these with concepts of occupational science, occupational justice, and occupational therapy. We are grateful to Bex for joining our team as she enthusiastically helped us enrich our work. We collaborated on writing a commentary entitled The Dark Side of Occupation within the context of modern-day beauty pageants in the journal Work, a journal of prevention, assessment, and rehabilitation, which was published in January of 2021. Disclaimer, some articulations in the presentation were extracted from the presenter's opinion and personal or professional experiences do not necessarily represent his or her affiliate institutions. Some expressions and photos also do not represent all beauty pageant contestants or do not represent or intend to offend or marginalize any subculture or group. The presenters are researchers in occupational therapy and occupational science who framed the conceptualization of occupation from Twinley's concept on the dark side of occupation, which we all aim to explore, illuminate, shed light on through this presentation. The aims of this seminar are the following. First, to describe the group culture of people who desire to be beautiful through the world of beauty pageants. Second, to discuss a different perspective on pageantry work. And third, to discuss essential and hidden occupations performed within the context of beauty pageants. After our discussion, we're also looking forward to answering your questions and hearing your insights about the concepts introduced. Put us all in one page, let us define the following terms. Doings, occupations, beauty, desire to be beautiful. Doings, as defined by Wilcock, is often synonymous to occupation. 
Doing is so important that it is impossible to envisage humans without it. What people do creates and shapes societies in which we live for good or bad. Next, occupations. Occupations refer to the everyday activities that people do as individuals, in families, and with communities to occupy time and bring meaning and purpose to life. Occupations include things people need to, want to, and are expected to do. Next, beauty. Beauty is not just a visual experience. It is a characteristic that provides a perceptual experience to the eye, to the ear, the intellect, the aesthetic faculty, or the moral sense. It is the qualities that give pleasure, meaning, or satisfaction to the senses. For the purposes of this presentation, we will focus on the overt, the physical aspect of beauty. And lastly, the desire to be beautiful. This pertains to the drive to achieve the standards of beauty. Next, we will be describing some historical excerpts about beauty, beauty standards, and beauty pageants. The first known beauty pageant was held in Scotland in the year 1839. It was um, organized by Archibald Montgomery, 13th Earl of Eglinton, to reenact a medieval joust. And in the pageant, Georgina Seymour, Duchess of Somerset, was proclaimed the Queen of Beauty. She was the first known beauty queen in history. In the paper, we framed it in the context of modern-day beauty pageants as performative work and people who aim to bag the coveted crown and become a title holder or a pop more popularly known as a beauty queen. We acknowledge that children, men, and members of the LGBT may also engage in beauty pageants. But for the purposes of our work, we only focused on females engaging on beauty pageants. The prize given to a beauty queen is usually a one-year contract with perks. Then, she will perform her role as a public figure and a representative of an organization. Aside from signing a one-year contract to leave the purpose of the organizations, winners are also granted the voice to speak publicly to advocate for a specific cause, material rewards that go along with winning, and powers for social and political purposes. I remember Miss Universe Pia Wurzbach advocated for the causes of HIV, while Miss Universe Catriona Gray advocated for free education for underprivileged children. These beauty queens win for various purposes, including empowering women, embodying national pride, promoting certain products, charities or organizations, and espousing inclusivity, diversity, and cultural identity. To have a deeper understanding of how beauty pageants have evolved from a historical reenactment with performative educational function to a global spectacle of socially constructed physical beauty, 
with performative um, political and commercial functions. It is important to have an overview of the different perspectives surrounding the origins, culture, and work-related underpinnings of modern-day beauty pageants. First, we start with feminism. In the lens of feminism, beauty pageants are seen in three different lights. First, beauty pageants are a platform to empower women. Women are given the opportunity to speak up, show their skills and talents, and gain public recognition. Second, some feminists see beauty pageants as degrading toward women, sexes, and races. They said pageants can serve as sites for the objectified feminine body. They challenge the concept of flawless femininity, which means having firm breasts and buttocks, no cellulite, white sparkling teeth, and beautiful hair. Lastly, the third, the third, um, third one, this may be a combination of the previous two perspectives, achieving some sort of a balance. Women have control over their body and therefore can decide the methods of how they will achieve certain beauty standards. Next, post-colonialism. The Western influence bred a cultural hegemony where the ruling class from the colonizing countries constructed cultural values and norms, including the standards of beauty, to maintain their power, privileges, and dominant status. One example is the Santa Cruzan. Santa Cruzan is an annual feast celebrated all over the Philippines. It is a Roman Catholic tradition in the honor of St. Helena, mother of Constantine the Great, which was introduced in 1854 to the Filipinos during the Spanish colonization in 1865 as a means to further cement the Catholic religion into the Filipinos' way and image of life. On the other hand, in Hong Kong, Filipino domestic workers enjoyed the idea of being a Sunday beauty queen which signifies how even for one day of the week, they can be free from their oppressed roles as domestic helper and have the control on how they want to express themselves. Lastly, in Indonesia, transgendered women called waria hold beauty pageants across large cities to promote and glam to promote glamour and transnationality. These pageants are not reflective of Southeast Asian culture as these are wildly affected by the European model of commodifying beauty, which leads us to the next perspective. Dominance of white beauty standards. For over 50 years in America, black women are excluded from the Miss America pageant. In this photo is Miss America 1984, Vanessa Williams, the first African-American woman to win. She emphasized that her winning is to prove, despite racist history, that the pageant was raceless 
and its representation of all American women. Next, capitalism and consumerism. In today's world, capitalism and consumerism has more power in commercializing beauty more than ever through social media ads. There has been an assumption that most title holders are chosen from countries belonging to the global south. Beauty queens from uh, these countries become ambassadors of products promoting Western standards of beauty through marketing those cosmetic products. Next, classism and class politics. To become a beauty queen entails acquiring a symbolic capital. Contestants are usually sponsored by capitalists, um, social entities, or local communities. These sponsors are investing in the hopes of the beauty queen returning all the favor, favors when she wins through representation, thus being a symbolic capital. Beauty pageant contestants also usually come from middle-class backgrounds as they have the appetite for consumerism. They also usually have the resources to pay for personal pageant training, gym memberships, social media managers, and high fashion clothing. Also, pageant organizers typically select women who have received formal education, can speak the English language eloquently, and generally strive to achieve an elite social class or something close to that. Lastly, morality and religion. Physical beauty comes with the expectation of upholding wholesomeness and good moral values. In Miss World 1996 in India, Hindu right-wing organizations fled the streets to rally against the beauty pageant. Women are believed to bring honor, embrace femininity, purity, submissiveness, and uh, mothering. For these protesters, beauty pageants are corrupted by the influence of the West, bringing nudity, dubious morals, and AIDS in their wake. In Indonesia, Miss World 2013 was afflicted with many protests from a dominant Muslim group stating that the beauty pageant is an immoral event. On the other hand, in Islam marriages, the criteria a man looks for a woman aside from her faith are wealth and beauty. Beautiful women are bound to get married and take care of the family and the home which therefore brings peace and contentment. While in Christianity, beautiful women are seen as noble, but they do not use charm and vanity for their own advantage. Typical eligibility rules in pageants may have been greatly influenced by Christianity. Typical rules are between 18 to 26, so you can join the pageant if you are between 18 to 26, unmarried, have not had children, have not posted in a men's magazine. And these rules have been, implement, 
have been implemented in Miss America from the U.S., which is predominantly Christian. That's it for the perspectives. Next, to discuss the association of beauty, beauty pageants to occupations. Here is Mike. People who desire to be beautiful are bound to engage in doings that make them beautiful. These doings can be participative or performative in nature. At this juncture, let us further explore what occupations make people beautiful. In our paper, we describe these occupations as essential occupations and the dark side of these occupations. Essential occupations adhere to the many traditional definitions of occupations. That is, they are tasks and activities that have form, function, and meaning to restore, maintain, or enhance good health and well-being. Within modern-day beauty pageants, various occupations are performed before, during, and after the pageant. Examples of these essential occupations include going to the gym, exercising, eating nutritious food, formal or informal schooling, grooming, dressing up, and communicating through various media outlets. While participating in these occupations are required to get into the pageant, these occupations must be performed well if you want to clinch the coveted title of beauty queen. For instance, being able to walk and twirl in high heels with confidence, speak eloquently in English or in other languages, wear fashionable apparel all the time, and autodidacticism are some occupations that are expected to be performed by these women if they want to win the competition. During the beauty pageant itself, the contestants also need to perform ritualistic activities that will involve what Phenol 1999 calls as the 12-step ritual. The ritual will begin with introducing of the contestants, singing and dancing, presenting of judges, parading, singing and dancing, parading, singing and dancing, parading, singing and dancing, presenting of the past winner, selecting the finalists, and announcing of the winner. Given the diversity of occupations that these contestants participate in and perform, we have explored occupations that need to be recognized, at least in the context of the modern-day beauty pageants. Dark side of occupations pertain to doings that are silenced, hidden, or secretive. These doings are being performed by pageant hopefuls with a shared goal of winning the pageant, regardless of how they are socially, culturally, politically, or morally perceived, judged, or experienced. They can be health compromising, risky, illicit, dishonest, or socially and personally undesirable. In the next slides, I will be showing you some examples. While in some countries, whitening products are part of normal daily grooming, some products have dangerous chemicals that can destroy the skin and compromise the health of the users. 
Such products are perpetually used in the beauty sector, especially in the global south, to adhere to the beauty standards of the West. Pageants are usually hosted by predominantly Western organizers and are sponsored by big corporations that manufacture these beauty brands. The capitalists in world-dominant core countries take advantage of this corporeal dilemma among women from the global south so that they can blindly patronize their products no matter how expensive or dangerous they are. Moving forward, individuals who desire to be beautiful across genders are actuating post-feministic ideals where women and men and all genders are believed to have full control of their bodies through plastic and cosmetic surgeries. To differentiate, plastic surgery is uh, a procedure done to reconstruct a body deformity for functionality whereas cosmetic surgery is a procedure done to enhance a person's appearance for aesthetics. Common cosmetic surgeries include facial contouring, liposuction, facelift, use of Botox, and many more. While these doings are now being normalized in some societies, in the context of modern-day beauty pageants, undergoing such surgeries to participate in a pageant that forbids them will require contestants to conceal them. Although winning, even with these enhancements, is possible nowadays, the winners will usually showcase their untouched beauty to evoke the other end of the spectrum within the post-feministic rhetoric. But that is changing in recent years. In relation to enhancement surgeries, a weight control culture has emerged in order to be beautiful. Most pageant hopefuls have to maintain a certain weight and thin body form to qualify. In a world where thinness is glorified, excessive weight control regimen prevails, which involves overly selective nutritional diets, intensive exercises, and misuse of laxatives, diet aids, and enemas. In some cases, these practices resulted to seeing more women develop eating and mental health disorders. When weight is uncontrollable, to stay in the pageant, some engage in, star in starving or non-eating. For instance, in South America, women use a quick weight loss alternative called tongue mesh. This practice involves sewing a piece of plastic mesh on the person's tongue with six stitches done by a plastic surgeon. This will make eating painful for the pageant hopeful for one month in exchange of losing weight of up to 30 pounds in, in one month. This practice is done before a pageant begins and is hidden from the media. To clinch the coveted crown, pageant hopefuls will engage in practically all possible doings, even at the cost of distorting their bodies and minds. For some women and men who may be in a situation where they have limited choices and advantages, the exchange of sexual services become an alternative to get ahead into the competition. While sex work can either be perceived as empowering and 
or oppressive, engaging in the exchange of sexual services within a beauty pageant context is fraught with issues related to risk, danger, stigma, and exploitation. In the world of pageants, sex servicing such as escorting, online sex, phone sex, is one way of soliciting funds and sponsorship to maintain the lifestyle of pageantry. At this juncture, we have already achieved two things. First, described the group culture of people who desire to be beautiful through the world of beauty pageants. And second, discuss the different perspectives on pageantry work and the essential and hidden occupations performed within the context of modern day beauty pageants. Having said that, we hope to contribute to the ongoing discourse on the conceptualization and theorization of the dark side of occupations. Here are some final thoughts that I'd like to share with the group today. First, modern day beauty pageant is a context where diverse occupations are at play, both those exposed and hidden in the dark. We hope that this gives us a new perspective in understanding the unique doings of human beings. Second, pageantry is a form of work. It is both a means and end to achieving a work role, a career, or even a profession that can afford public recognition and occupational justice, but can also involve some hidden and health compromising occupations in the short term and the long term. Additionally, I would like to share with you some insights that we gained from writing this piece related to occupational justice. Achieving occupational justice is one of the goals of these contestants when joining pageants. Possessing OJ allows them to gain the ability to participate and choose in more and varied occupations than before winning. However, while the end goal is to achieve occupational justice, we have to be mindful that the means towards occupational justice may entail to a certain extent, experiences of injustices towards the self and towards others. Occupation is not only a means of resistance and change, but also a site where inequality and social difference are constituted. That is what Angle uh, said about occupations, that it's not just a means to make a change, a means of advocacy, but sometimes, there are occupations where that, or I mean, that breeds inequality and social differences amongst human beings. For readers coming from the fields that intersect with occupational science, we hope to offer a critical understanding of people's diverse doings to guide in reconceptualizing their practice, research, and policymaking, especially when involving people who engage in hidden occupations and work in the context of desiring to be beautiful while being judged against unrealistic beauty standards. And I just want to share with you that since the publication of our work, we have also received criticisms from within and outside the OT community. 
And I just would like to share with you some of their critiques. First is that this paper or this work is too theoretical, abstract, and out of touch. Some mentioned that this work minimally informs occupational therapy practice. And one person commented in social media about why talk or write about beauty in the middle of a crisis? My personal answer to that, to that is this. While these can be true to their realities and current circumstances, at least in the context where being beautiful is meaningful, we cannot be complicit in not exploring this topic because we believe that the concept of beauty is encountered by people on a daily basis. And there are people who desire to be beautiful and they can be a person waiting to receive or is already receiving occupational service, uh, occupational therapy services. And we can say that the desire of being beautiful and seeing beauty seeks to strike a balance in the middle of this global crisis that we are actually experiencing. So these are my thoughts on the critiques and I'm happy that there are people talking about it, trying to challenge what we thought and what we wrote. And, and that's actually one of our hidden goals in working on and collaborating on this piece. So with that, we'd like to thank you for listening and we are so happy to share with you our work. And if you want to continue this discourse, please feel free to contact me, Pauline and Bex. Thank you so much. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.